Good evening, everyone. It's time for Necromaniacs Podcast. We have a special episode for you this week. Yes, we do. Jeff Kashid has come all the way from Los Angeles, California to, uh, what fucking town is this? Tolland? <laughs> Tolland, Connecticut, to, uh, to do this week's episode of Necromaniacs Podcast. And we're sitting here in the humble abode of our mutual friend, Randy Larson. Who, if you guys listen to Metal Matters or Everything Went Black, you'll know Randy. And you'll also know Randy as the main guy in cable. So, how's it going, Jeff? It's going great. I specifically only came out here to do this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we flew you out here for this Yeah, show. we flew. We have a, if you guys don't know, Necromaniacs has a huge budget. Like, <laughs> just blow money on, like, frivolous bullshit, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it's going good. And thanks to Randy for letting us use his basement to record this. If we tried to record this in my house, you'd hear, like, my mom yelling at my father and, like, the TV in the background. <laughs> like, the cats jumping all over the place. So thanks, Randy. Hey, no problem. You might hear some gunshots. <laughs> might happen. My cat's upstairs, so you should be good. <laughs> but it's great. It's great to be home. It's great to see you guys. Um, it's great to get out of Los Angeles. So you guys are both fully vaccinated, right? Yes. Yep. I um, two weeks after I got my last shot, I uh, I got on a plane and came here. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, last week I was talking about how uh, I have one more shot left. Uh, in this upcoming week and how, uh, you know, in the state of New Jersey, I was sort of like the guy at the airport who gets seated last, you know, so that that's how I feel about that. But whatever, I'm happy to be, uh, you know, getting with the program out here. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a little rough, my second shot, but uh, totally worth it. So, you know, we always start the show talking about stuff we might have seen, anything cool, uh, you know, books, movies, anything in the last couple of weeks that you've checked out, film-wise or anything that's worth talking about? Um, I kind of went like the weird opposite way uh, the last few weeks and watched a bunch of comedies. Really? Yeah, like I rewatched uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And uh, not only does a movie not hold up, I was kind of amazed by how good it looked. Like it looks like a real movie, you know, it's Terry Gilliam's de- directorial debut. And it really does have this like early seventies kind of like almost creepy quality to it. Like if you didn't know you were watching a comedy, you see like some of the shots in it, they look like, like this atmospheric British horror film. Oh, that's cool. Um, I seen that forever. It's, it's still fucking hilarious. And I love it. I'm a big Terry Gilliam fan. I like his direction. I like his animation. Um, we, Randy and I, also, uh, we watched something in here the, uh, oh, the other day. We watched two things, actually. We watched a documentary about Public Enemy called Welcome to the Terror Dome. Oh, wow. That sounds great, man. Where'd you see that? Uh, um, what was it on? Amazon, Randy? Yeah, Amazon Prime. Yeah. And it's not so much a, do- I mean, it, it, was, it was a documentary, but it wasn't really about anything. It was, like, just, like, footage of them hanging out backstage and in airports and doing uh, photos and some live footage, but it wasn't really like the history of Public Enemy. It was sort of like being a fly on the wall uh, while, while those guys are on tour. I mean, I'd be interested in checking that out for sure. I'm a big fan of those guys. Yeah, if you're if you're a fan, then it's definitely worth checking out. And yeah, it was cool. It was really cool, but it was more like like Jeff said. It was more like there was someone just traveling around with a band at like shows and backstage, and there was some real funny stuff in there. Uh, some some footage of uh, Flavor Flav, and they show him like playing drums, playing bass, and he's actually like a pretty skilled musician, which I never would have thought. Yeah, he was playing piano, and like I had no, I, I thought Flavor Flav was just some fucking dude, like that was friends with one of those guys or something. Like, yeah, like it was just like, oh, he can do it, but uh, yeah, it turns out he does have a a lot of music, more musical talent than I have. <laughs> I, I can't play piano. Um, what else did we watch, Ray? Oh, uh, we watched Wolf Cop. Oh, dude. You know I love that. that. Uh, I, we that's, were, why we that's why we watched it. Yeah. No, that's great. That's, uh, I thought two, there's two levels that movie works on, I think. Hmm. It, it works like definitely as like a, a horror comedy, mm-hmm. right? But if you took out all of the comedy elements in it, I think that story is pretty awesome. It's like it could work also as like maybe like a late 70s Marvel comic. like. Hmm. With like you know the Morbius, uh, you know like that vibe of uh, of the late seventies Marvel horror kind of stuff, you know Blade, Morbius, like that kind of thing. Right, right. 
because I think it just the story was cool. Yeah, mm. and I I thought that movie was great. I enjoyed it. Yeah. We didn't like it. <laughs> hey, that's that's you know. Well, it was you know, yeah, it, it I, was fun. It was definitely a fun watch. Yeah, I for think sure. It, yeah, I'm not like as far as a horror comedy, it's fun. I have a good fun watch. Well, that's what it is—a horror comedy. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. not like you know it watching. Actually, it actually sounds cool. Yeah, uh, I enjoyed it on that level, but I mean, you know, it was what it was. I thought it was cool, man. It's um, I've watched it a bunch of times actually. I think that uh, you know, and I'm not even a, much of a horror comedy fan. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and uh, but I do like that. And, um, you know, like Shaun of the Dead, I thought was cool. Yeah. I, yeah. I, it, it was definitely a horror comedy. It was definitely, I, I thought well, it was I mean, more it of a definitely comedy. was yeah. a horror comedy because it, it's a fucking comedy. <laughs> did you see part two? Part two, not, I did, but I didn't enjoy it as much as part one. We almost watched part two, but eh, I ran out of steam. I would, I would skip that one. Yeah. Really. Especially if you didn't really like part one. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, that's, that, that about covers it. What are you, you watch anything, Mike? Yeah, I watched, um, well, two things that are not really horror films, but they're kind of horror adjacent in some ways. There's that uh, The Son of Sam documentary, that, the docu-series on, uh, on Netflix. Oh. Which is basically, uh, if you ever read uh, The Ultimate Evil, the Maury Terry book, it kind of follows that. It follows more of the life of Maury Terry and how he tried, he's, his you know, theory about connecting David Berkowitz, the process, Church of Final Judgment, and Charles Manson together. It kind of runs through that storyline, and also the negligence and just complete how like the NYPD like were so quick to like convict him. Mm. And uh, there's also a lot of evidence that shows that there might have been more than one killer. You know, oh, wow. And of course, the New York cops like ah fucking Maury Terry's a fucking bullshit artist, you know, like, <laughs> and like so of course they're you know they, they don't want to you know. You know, you know how cops are, man. They want to wrap things up, man. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. So uh, I saw that. I enjoyed it. And also, uh, there's a documentary that another docu series on Hulu called Sasquatch. Oh, dude, it, it's not what you think. Initially, I was like, you know, I mean, I, I if it was about Bigfoot, I'd have been stoked anyway. Right. Yeah. But it was a it's a documentary um, that is telling the story of uh, one of these investigative journalists who went spent some time at a weed grow in northern california up in like mendocino county in that area you know everyone a beautiful country up there i've never been up there you've been up there, you've been up there. yeah you know i'm a fancy yeah, california guy, guy yeah. you know? but it's north of like the wine country i guess is where they, they they grow weed yeah 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 so there's like a decades you know weed industry up there so back in the 90s when it was illegal you know all over mm-hmm. this guy like uh he went up there and worked. He's like a young, young at that time. He was a young guy, um, and then there was a murder, a triple murder that happened, and they tried to say that oh yeah, these like you know Sasquatch like murdered these guys and like tore them to pieces and all this stuff, right? <laughs> really? Yeah. Holy shit! <laughs> so the story, like, the guy revisits the story and he tries to figure out what happens, and he doesn't actually solve solve the crime, but all these like fingers are pointing. At like the super dark underbelly of the weed industry, right? There. Yeah, you know, I don't know if you know have any information about that, but uh, I have a friend. I'm not sure how much I should say. No, <laughs> um, God, don't mention the guy's name. I, have to, like, <laughs> fucking, like, I, I know someone who worked, who claims to have worked in that industry up up there. Yeah, and just said it was fairly hellish. Not maybe not. I wouldn't use that word. Um, it takes a certain person, I guess, to do to to do that kind of work. That that's all. I'm what are you say. trying to say, man? Like the guy, <laughs> was he just a guy who worked on the? You know, I'm not really, I'm not really sure. He was, he was like, you know, a little hush hush about it, but like, kind of alluded to maybe some violence happened. Not like you know, murder or anything. Not like anything you're describing, but just like you know, hey, you don't fuck around up there. Well, you know, just one of, one of the things that uh, was uncovered by that, and something I suspected. For many years because, um, you know, like on the playing tours, doing tours, like we played shows in like Northern California and like Humboldt County and Ukiah, like places like weird out of the way Northern yeah. California places like that. And um, one one time we played a gig out there in, in harvest season. And I, I'll get to that vibe, but it's like <laughs> the um, 
the movie basically it's it's uh, really interesting because you know for decades weed was illegal you know yeah now in the last like few years it's only like new that now i mean new jersey has legal weed connecticut right not yet it's decriminalized but it's not yeah legal. cali you know yeah it's it's recreational now out mm-hmm. in california right yeah i believe so you know, yeah. yeah i think even new york it's new illegal yeah. which i i was i figured new york would hang in there till the very very end really yeah, dude, it's like New York. Did, MMA wasn't legal in New York until just like you know, like ten what ten years ago or something wow. like that. I mean, they'll it's like this, you know, union. I figured the unions would figure a way to muscle their arms in there. And, right. Oh, oh yeah. Me, okay. You know, weed can't be legal because of some fucking teamster bullshit or whatever. Right. You know, Connecticut's gonna take that fucking crown. So now it's like legal in Mass. Yeah. Right? It's legal in New York, but the state you have to drive through to get to both. It's not you know decriminalized. It's not legalized. Right. So, so, you know, it's been normalized that marijuana is legal. It's, you know, it's like uh, they're descheduling it and all this stuff. But for decades, it's been the fucking black market. Yeah. So this whole thing out, you know, in in Northern California, there's like shadowy people involved, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, illegal immigrants working on the farms. Okay. And uh, Hell's Angels involved. Right. You know, anytime like. You know, those guys get involved when there's money to be made, that kind of thing. So even though things are becoming now um, legal, there's this whole infrastructure of the black market and shadiness that's still present, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I Um, mean, I'm not a big weed smoker. Me neither. But, you know, I mean, it's I think it's it's ridiculous. It's kind of like it's ridiculous that it's illegal, you know? Um, So that the touches on a lot of that stuff. And, you know, like, you know, people that I know who are really into weed. You know, they're like, oh, you know, this is born, you know, we, this is the harvest from Northern California. When their their mindset is that it's just like these like peace loving, back to the land hippies that are <laughs> harvesting this stuff. Meanwhile, it's like some <laughs> meth addict guy like with a fucking shotgun. And, people are getting their heads stomped for working too slow. Yeah, <laughs> dude, people are getting murdered because they're muscling in on each other's territories. It's like a gang war. Still. It told, yeah, no, I, I've been saying that for the longest time. Like, yeah. if, if the drug industry is just. It's going to be a shady industry. Well, when there's money involved, you can throw fucking peace in, you know, the, out the window. Yeah. It's going to get infiltrated by people who are going to want to get every fucking cent. Right. There's also, I don't know if either one of you guys watched it, but there was also another docuseries on Netflix a few years ago called Murder Mountain. Mm. Oh, I remember hearing about that. Yeah, about Humboldt County and the, weed, oh, wow. the underground weed industry. Yeah. Um, I watched a few episodes, and it seemed interesting, and it seemed to, like, uh, be heading towards where people were getting murdered and real seedy shit. So it might be interesting to revisit that if you like. Yeah, that, that sounds really cool. But it, it was a good docuseries. I think it's cool. It's four parts. It definitely was is well edited because sometimes those those four parters are like, yeah, all right, we can cut like like the one about the uh, the one in L.A. the hotel. Um, oh, the Cecil Hotel. The Cecil yeah, hotel. I feel like that could have been half as long as it was. I could have been like one episode. Really. Yeah, maybe two. Yeah, but yeah, it was. It was real, I recommend that. So just to. They blamed Bigfoot on the for the murders. Well, what happened was, I mean, I mean, essentially, what they were they were trying to, like the the some of the the people that own the farms. There's like this like old school vibe of people out there that were like trying to to control to keep to keep the tough guys out of coming up there to muscle in their territory. They're building up this whole mythology that there's like. You know, Bigfoot sightings. They would fake a bunch of stuff. They would, I mean, you know, I mean, that's what Bigfoot is anyway. It's all just a bunch of faked footprints and right, yeah. Faking. So they would circulate disinfo about Bigfoot being present in these woods, just so like, you know, it's like they would create this legend about like, right. oh, the woods haunted. You know, there's ghosts, there's Bigfoot. You know, what big feet out there? So when they murdered these these three guys, who apparently, I mean, I don't want to give too much of it away, but there was like. You know, it, it, the story develops over four episodes, and it starts off in one place, and then it ends up somewhere else, and then you see the the reasoning why they would have murdered these guys, mm. and as like a smokescreen, they created this. Uh, you know, basically just gave away the whole thing. But you know, they 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 said, oh yeah, these, these are killed by Sasquatch. Right, right. Well, no one can use that excuse now. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> you ever see Sasquatch up there, man? No, no, not yet. Do you believe in that? No. You, no, me neither. I do believe that they're in some p- 
point of our history, there's probably some super primate like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, these days, like, how come you haven't seen a dead body anywhere? How come you haven't seen full skeletons? How come with the you know surveillance technology we have, no one's taking a picture with a, a clear photograph on their phone or video right, yeah. or any of that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, technology's kind of ruined anything sort of fun like that. Like, I mean, there's, like, mad, like on the internet there's like pictures of like white women like going nuts you know these karens so they <laughs> captured them okay how come yeah. they can't capture bigfoot you know? <laughs> very good point <clears throat> but yeah that that time we played a show out there and i think it was ukiah california and mm. it was like this is anodyne this isn't tombs but the uh it was one of these deals where like late in the tour we had like a monday or a tuesday to fill and like some promoter guy was like he's like yeah well you know you guys want to play out in northern norcal and i'm like yeah i don't give a fuck whatever we're heading up to like you know portland or whatever and there's that long ass drive from san francisco to portland it's like 12 hours or something yeah. and it was like well we can have a day off or we can play another gig and break up the drive so it's like let's play another show it's like a monday or a tuesday or some bullshit like that and i remember like getting off of i-5 and like heading out into the fucking wilderness man <laughs> like driving on these like one lane roads and it's like yeah, yeah. really remote area and there's this little ass town ukiah california and uh joel our drummer was familiar with that because he grew up in california and it was a uh, harvest season so everyone was talking about you know harvest season and you know people are up here looking to spend money and all this stuff and like i remember the you know this kid who was um do a merch for us like people would buy merch and they'd also give him like bud and stuff like that <laughs> you know yeah one someone tried to like trade bud for like t a t-shirt and a record or something yeah, wrong wrong band for that and i'm like what the fuck? fuck of course not man <laughs> so this guy had all this like weed and everything on him and um i remember the show the show was kind of cool it was like some weird place somewhere it was like i don't know like maybe 30 people there and yeah there was like they made a circle around the band when we played <laughs> really yeah slowly moved closer and closer <laughs> and uh there's a bus station in ukiah i believe and uh there was some kind of like whiskey bar across the street and there was this like lady who was um you know she was uh let's say uh mercenary about <laughs> making money you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah <laughs> so she like blew some guy at the show or whatever and like behind the where the venue was and to get bus ticket or whatever i don't know it's just some shady story like that <laughs> i love those like off the beaten path kind of shows the fucking people that come to them oh yeah that's every show cable has ever ever played because you get off the highway and drive for an hour. <laughs> oh wait baltimore yeah we're gonna drive an hour outside of baltimore we'll see you there <laughs> Yeah, we we played in like Reading a couple times, and yeah, similar. I think Reading is slightly more no, like normal <laughs> than that, but it still had had like a, a vibe to it that was not what we, what I would use, uh, was used to. I'd say. Yeah, Northern California is definitely like its own thing, man. It's almost yeah, like it's, it, you can almost split California into two different states. You definitely could, like, yeah. yeah, three maybe, yeah, because Central is like got its own kind of trip going on too, really. Yeah, like around right. Sacramento and all that. Oh, sure, yeah. Sacramento's kind of got that Bay Area kind of feel to it, a little bit. A little bit, but it's in the dead middle of the desert, though. Kinda. Right, yeah. Yeah. If anyone from that Ukiah town wants any cable merch, you know, I got a little <laughs> bit left. So. <laughs> I think I think uh, there was a kid there with a cable shirt on, probably. <laughs> but, like, three sizes too big for him. <laughs> Unlike Anodyne, I will trade merch for him. <laughs> I got to get rid of this shit. <laughs> yeah, it's like. Yeah, that was definitely the right, the, the wrong band to do that, 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 especially at that time. Yeah, that was early 2000s, right? It might even be before that. It might have, well, yeah, Joel was in the band, so it was in, it was in this millennium, yeah. That wasn't when you stayed with us on that tour, right? Because there was only the three of you guys, you and... Yeah, but, dude, I, we've done, like, I don't know how many tours we did. And yeah. Stayed, you know, probably, I don't know, I don't think it was that tour. Yeah. That would have been 2003, because we moved to L.A., and like a month later, you were crashing with us for a couple of days. Yeah, you know, that was, that's our way, man. <laughs> that was fine. I had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite things is, like, in that band, like, sleeping at, like, the, the Denny's parking lot. And uh, it, was, it was, like, it was one of these, like, drive after the show type of scenarios, and it's, like, 
we're driving and driving and driving and I'm like tired and I'm like oh Danny's over here and I'm like think I'd you know kill two birds with one stone you mm-hmm. know what I mean like sleep here in the parking lot and get up and go and have breakfast there yeah right? it's a good plan decent bathroom yeah That's for a touring musician yeah. clean yeah you know. if only they had a shower Danny's would be like the perfect uh, <laughs> standard it's a nice standard yeah, yeah. it'll do yeah. so you know we slept in the parking lot you know I, I always I'm usually the first guy to wake up I get up of course, I have to piss. Go into Denny's, sit at the counter, you know, and the lady's like, looks at me. She's just like, "Are you one of them hippies that were sleeping out in that van in the parking lot when I when I checked in this morning?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm one of those hippies that's out in the van." Hearing you described as a hippie, man, that's that's something. Usually, people peg me as like a cop or something like that. I remember an, an, not peg me because I'm not a law enforcement person. But you just have to do, yeah. Mike is not a cop. Everyone listening. But when we were in uh, Delaware one time, or we, we stayed outside of Philly, I don't know. We, we were some one of those states in like the Central Atlantic area. We stayed at a hotel, and um, you know, once again, I'm up early. Mm-hmm. I, I, but it, it wasn't like one of those like a comfort inn or something. It was like one of these like kind of shady you know <laughs> sometimes red roof inns can be like shady even though they're very usually red roof inns solid motel six shady. they change they re their whole thing's different now man not shady no well they're they re branded themselves apparently they have like they've upgraded their whole things i've stayed in some motel sixes that are like it looks like they look like you're in like a prison or like you're locked up overnight yeah, or something you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally. But um, but yeah, it was like one of the, it, so it might have been that because this is quite a while ago, it was before the rebranding. But I just remember I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna go out to the van, bring my stuff out there. So I like, I get in the van and like these these guys come out of like one of the rooms. It was like a motel setup as mm. opposed to the hotel setup. Like doors on the outside. Yeah, so it's like an exterior entrance. Yeah. So these guys come out, they go to their car, and it's, dudes are checking me out, and they're like, they're like. What precinct you with, officer? <laughs> and I'm like, excuse me? He's like, he's like, what precinct y'all with? And I'm like, <laughs> y'all. I'm like, I'm, like uh, I'm not a cop, man. He's like, ah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I look like a cop. I don't know. I can kind of see it. <clears throat> All right. Well, anyway, let's, right, get, yeah. let's get down to business, man. Right. All right. So um, for today's episode... We're talking about a film called The Empty Man. Uh, it, it's actually relatively new. It came out October 23rd, 2020. It's a long one. Yeah, it, th- that's definitely going to come up when we talk about it. 137 minutes in length, in duration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Directed by David Pior, Pyre Pior. And um, as a director, I think this is his only credit. Yeah, I didn't really see too much about uh about this guy. He also wrote the screenplay for this thing called The Offing, which uh, has has been in development for some period of time. And mm. uh, but you know he's known mostly as a producer, and uh, the story is based on a graphic novel. The graphic novel I haven't read, and uh, it's by this guy Colin Byrne, who I, I'm familiar with his work because he's done X Men, Deadpool. Oh, okay. Uh, the Damned, which is like uh, Oni Press put that out. Uh, Harrow County, which is really cool. Dark Horse put that out. Um, and the artwork's by Vanessa Del Rey, who seems like this seems like that's like a porno name kind of. <laughs> I thought it was a pop singer or something. <laughs> oh, no, that's Lena Del Rey. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Close enough. I, I might be confusing her with Vanessa Del Rio, actually. I don't know who that is. She's a pornography uh, actor. Actress. Oh, okay. Recent or past? Old school. Old school. Okay. Yeah. He has an old school name. Yeah. And uh, the graphic novel was put out by Boom Studios, who I read a ton of their stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I didn't know this was a graphic novel when I watched it. Um, I think it might work, probably it worked better as a trade or as a graphic novel as opposed to a film. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's quite a cast. Um, a couple of like uh, names and, and faces that are might be a little bit familiar. Uh, James Badge Dale is, uh, I would say, he's the star of the film, mm-hmm. and I don't really know him. For, oh, the, the the Departed. Yeah, like he was the only he thing was I didn't recognize. Other, uh, he was in that show, The uh, Pacific on HBO. Did you see that? I didn't see that. It's it's excellent. 
really, really good. Uh, he was in, um, God, what was that movie called? Behold the Dark or something like that. It's from the director of uh, Blue Ruin and Green Room, that guy's third film. Oh, okay. He was in that. He's, he pops up in a lot of stuff. Is that, is that good? Yeah, Behold it is the, good. Behold the Dark? It's, I don't think it's, it's something like that. Here, it's not here. Oh, fuck. My memory is shit. All right. <laughs> uh, most notably is Steven Root. Yes. He, the great character actor. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and that guy shows up. You, and you barely know it's him sometimes. Yeah, it's like, like, for, like I always think of him as like um, for comedies, and then in like the last ten years, you think of him more of like kind of a, a serious character actor. He pops up in a lot of roles that are kind of funny, but uh, you know, also like uh, like Barry, he's really good in that. Yeah, I, I just watched a movie last night, or not last night, a couple nights ago, called uh, Happily, that he's also pops up in and plays a similar mysterious sort of character. He's like that other guy from uh, the guy the, the guy who played the white power dude in Oz, uh, J.K. Oh, J.K. Simmons. So, yeah, something that like it? that. That guy shows up like our commercials. Yeah, he's did the voice in um for uh, for the the uh, Omni Man in uh, in the Invincibles. Yep, yeah, Justice League. He was Gordon. Yeah, the guy pops up everywhere. Yeah. and he's I, that guy's a great actor, man. He's actually. great. Whiplash is a fantastic movie. I don't if you if you've seen that. No. You haven't? He won an Oscar for it. Really? Yeah. He's an Oscar winner. Yeah, he's an Oscar winner. Interesting. All right. So this movie, <laughs> what attracted me, I, you know, you could blame it all on me because it was my idea to watch this movie. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> though I, I don't think I had a, such an extreme reaction as you guys did, but I, I, um, I'm actually interested in the whole concept of like tulpas. Mm. You know what I mean? And this connects with that. Uh, what a tulpa is is like if you guys remember the uh, the Slenderman uh, thing that happened, where there's this like it starts with like a meme, and that meme crosses into reality by people believing in it and actually following directions that are given by this weird meme idea. It's mm. like it's like the whole idea of um, I mean for me. What, what it makes me think about is like just the belief systems of like various mythologies, you know, like like in American gods, how each the gods are powerful because more people believe in them. And even in, in our society today, with like meme culture, mm. you know, with like, say, uh, you know, Wojak or any of those fucking, you know, those like incel things. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like some from somewhere comes this image. Yeah, and then people believe in it, and then they start crafting their lives around it, and that's kind of what this movie has. It takes that to like another another level in some ways. Yeah, for sure. I thought it had an interesting concept, but its execution is is I guess is what I had a had a problem with. And even like the the lore of a uh, the Empty Man felt very odd. You blow into a bottle as you think about him on a bridge at night. It sounds like something like a, a fifth grader would come up with. You yeah, know? yeah. It's uh, it's like a creepy pasta, like yeah, like kind of in a way, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah. It, it a lot of it. Uh, I I didn't really quite get get how it connected to the cult. It didn't really make that connection. That's that that strong for me. I wasn't really sure what the whole point of the movie was. Really, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like. Well, first, you mentioned the length. Like, it's fucking long. It is fucking so long. And I looked this morning. That opening scene is almost its own. That could be like a, a short in a, an anthology. It's like 25 minutes. No, it wasn't quite 25 minutes. It's like 23 minutes long. Well, what I was going to do, and I, I haven't. Like, I suspect that the comic book version of this probably mm -hmm. works better. And that's, it seems like that might have been like issue one. Right. You know, yeah. the storyline as a prequel, as like a prologue to the story. Because what happens is like there's these hikers, they're on some mountainside, and um, they find this, the skeleton. that Right. Sick that, skeleton, by the way. I, I'll give you that. Yeah, that was pretty cool. That was a cool image. Yeah. Yeah, this, this dude, they find this like cave and there's a skeleton in there. And that really doesn't connect back to the, to the concept either, really. No, it really doesn't. Like, I really also like, I... You really just need to know, like, Paul. Like, there's – this movie is also filled with, like, too many characters. There's four characters here. Paul's really the only one that matters. He's the only one you'll see later because he is the, uh, what, Tulpa? Yeah. Well, um, he, he's the – I get the concept is that 
there's like a um, I'm going to use the word tulpa, the, a uh, an entity that sort of manifests itself in different people, right? And then it, that connects to this like occult, uh, the Pontifex Institute, mm. or whatever the hell it's called. Yeah, and um, you know. I I wouldn't say that they're like an apocalypse cult, but they kind of are in a way. I could I, I didn't understand I, I didn't know what their and their their goal was. I, that wasn't clear to me, but sure, apocalypse yeah. cult. Yeah, why not? Um, but uh, so it the 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 mantle of the uh, empty man gets passed on, <clears throat> and when we jump into the storyline with with this group of hikers, that's where Paul it, it sort of possesses him. Yeah. Yeah. And then he possesses some uh, his it was his girlfriend. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really felt that that could have been condensed from from twenty something minutes to I don't know five six. I thought it just it just rambled too long. Yeah, the editing was like they didn't they needed to really get in there with a scalpel and start hacking away some of the some of this content some of the dial you know the narrative and stuff in this yeah because i'm not opposed to a long movie or like you know a little bit more of contemplative tone but this movie just it rambles keeps going and going and there was a moment at the end of that scene at the end of the epilogue where like you know a girl gets her throat cut um and she gives this like catty look to the other girl before she like falls <laughs> off the mountain i was like oh wait is that was that supposed to be funny like i went back and watched it i was like maybe I'm remembering that differently, but she totally gives us like, oh, no, you didn't look to her. Like, I was like, oh, is this, is, is this funny? There was a few of those moments in there where it was like, it was like, is that supposed to be funny? Like, there was a comment that the main character made at one point, too. And it was when, uh, it was later on in the movie. I'll save it for later on. Okay. We'll, we'll All, right. To that. All right. Like, there was some of those moments for sure. Yeah. Where like, is this supposed to be funny or not? It's <laughs> real hard to tell. Yeah. Yeah. It took itself pretty seriously, so I think probably not. Right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and that's a problem for me that keeps coming up in the movie. Like, you know, you, like, uh, the scene, I'm like, why are there so many people in the scene? Why is this person, you know, getting their own separate death? There's so many moments like this throughout that movie where I'm like, you could just really cut, like, uh, probably like a good 30, 40 minutes from them. I, I I'm, not, I'm not sure you could cut 30 or 40 minutes, but maybe, like, like at the writing stage, some of this could have been condensed down. Well, I think yeah, that that goes back to um, coming up with the screenplay versus mm. you know what 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 the actual narrative of the trade paperback was because it's like I think it was like a six issue miniseries maybe or eight. I don't, actually, it might have been eight issues. Mm, okay. So if you think about it, that's like you know hundreds of pages of of script really. Yeah. You know, they probably could have like <clears throat> figured out what key elements they wanted to pull out of the trade paperback and make it into this film you know because it is <clears throat> it doesn't really play very well as a movie i think no no it doesn't and i guess i read uh somewhere that that this was sort of like a, a rough cut that that did end up getting released did you, did you read that as well yeah because apparently <clears throat> i read the same thing and and uh online when i was looking you know, doing a little bit of research on it and yeah this is like they get, like rushed it out or some shit like that and then like it came out in 2020 so you know, maybe there was the anxiety of it, like, we just need to get this out. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's weird that this even made it to theaters. This It, it totally it feels like a video on demand thing. That, that's that's what I was saying. Like, it's something that would just show up as a, you know, VOD kind of thing. Yeah. It certainly has that feel. <clears throat> um, and then the movie, okay, so it's, then, then you get into, like, basically the main part of the movie. 23 minutes has gone by, the, the epilogue's over, and we meet uh, James, who is the, the main character. Played by James Badge Dale, and halfway through, I was like, "What is he doing in this?" Like, <laughs> he's he's really like you know him and uh, I think the uh, Marin Ireland are the only people I really recognize, and I'm not even sure where I recognize her. Well, from. I think Aaron Poole. I think. Oh, Aaron Poole. Who yeah. is he? Was Paul. Paul? Yeah, I did recognize him too. He was in uh, the Void. That's it. Okay. Yeah, he played yeah. the, the the deputy in the void. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I forget him. Um, but he's a good actor. Like you said, he's popped up in a lot of stuff. And like, one of his first scenes is with a teenager, and she is just babbling this bullshit, and like, <laughs> it's not a well, it's it's not a well acted scene, 
on 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 her part and it's not even real like, like what adult would entertain this this bullshit she's saying like it's like this like mum like like uh influencer like mumbo jumbo shit she's saying nothing is real everything matters just like it was so goofy yeah but that's the kind of shit that people fall for though yeah you know what i mean that like, like a teenager sure right exactly but also like that i mean all right the thing one of the reasons <laughs> why i kind of like was interested a little bit in this in this part of the film was just in the the total psyop that's going on in our culture right now okay and how people will fucking believe anything right mm. especially if you wrap it up in this like nice package okay because this, this is where we get into the pontifex fucking uh foundation or whatever right. it's called you know it starts off with like oh you know, it's like this spiritual vibe you know or empowering people but then what it is is it's it's more of like a, a mind control kind of thing where they're dissociating people from reality and making them believe in these like tulpas and all this sort of you know stuff. Right. It's weird that that's kind of glanced over. Like this movie it's like changes what it is throughout. Like like first you know you got the epilogue and then it's uh, this sort of like uh, you know um, this. Uh, lore kind of horror movie this like uh, folklore kind of horror movie then it's a police procedure like, like it, there's like a big stretch of the movie i'm like oh what, what's is this even the empty man like are they gonna go back to that that was one of my biggest problem with it well one of my problems with it was that it just felt like eight movies crammed into one yeah you know like you were saying it was uh the graphic novels yeah series. i just felt like every time it was digging its heels in it, it like flipped it up and you're like now what the fuck is going on like it I don't know. It just wasn't very cohesive. Well, that's the biggest problem with it is that it lacked any kind of like real. It was it was very um, confusing. The narrative. Uh, yeah. It was. It was, there was no cohesion. They introduced characters that I think just had no point really in the whole storyline. Oh, like um, um, Devara. I don't even know who the fuck that is. Well, he was the girl. Like, okay, so <laughs> he, he was the girl. The daughter goes to his. Okay, so we, I guess you should say. Uh, you can say guy, that nowadays. He was the girl. Yeah, that's fine. Sure. Yeah. The, the main character um, is uh, when he's basically having an affair with his next door neighbor, and his daughter drops by to visit and hang out, which is okay. <laughs> um, she goes missing, and he, this guy's an ex-cop, apparently, and he starts to, you know, he basically does some uh, PI work. He, he's gonna go launch his own investigation and talk to her friends, and that's where we meet Devara. He talks to her in her car. Uh, and Which is kind of sketchy that scene. It is. Yeah, he's like, like giving like, her cigarettes <laughs> and stuff, and like they're at. He's like some beard, like unshaven white guy who shows up in front of like a high school, basically. And he's like, "Hey, why don't you come over here and have a seat in my car?" And like she comes and sits in the car. He's like giving, he's giving her cigarettes and everything. And I'm like, the girl's like 16 years old. Right? <laughs> yeah, uh, and um, and she tells a story uh, of what happened on the bridge and basically explains the whole lore of. Of uh, of the I keep wanting to say the Slender Man. Uh, well, because it kind of is yeah. really that storyline. And she explained, okay, this scene on the bridge goes on forever. There's like ten, like I don't know, like six characters, and it's just needlessly long, and and the dialogue is silly. And like I said before, I thought the whole kind of lore of uh, the Empty Man was just was just goofy. But this this scene goes on forever. And uh, you kind of think Devara is going to be, like, a part of this movie, but, like, she's kind of like, you know, two scenes later, she's gone. Yeah. Because uh, everyone, uh, uh, they they do the ritual, they blow into the bottle. Which is fucking stupid. Which really. is really stupid. Yeah. And, but, yeah, and you have to think of the Slender Man and... Um, empty Man. Empty Man. See, I fucking <laughs> did it again. I feel like one's going to appear. I don't know. I keep yeah. saying it so many times. Um so uh, our main character, James, finds all the kids dead on the bridge, except Devara. She gets her own death, which didn't make a lot of sense to me. And again, like, could have shortened the movie. Because you have this whole scene where she's at a spa, and she's attacked uh, by the empty man. And, and, and they say that it, it, uh, it looks like a suicide or something. Like, yeah, because who, who stabs himself in the face seven times, eight times to kill himself? <laughs> But it was a needless scene. Like, why wasn't she on the bridge with the rest of them? Well, that that's goes to the script writing. You yeah, know I mean? exactly. It's like, you know, regardless of how it might have gone down in the comic book, like a script writer who, who realizes, like, you know, when, it, when you're publishing comics, you have, like, 
you know, I'm sure they have their own editorial, but also you have like a big canvas to work with. Yeah. When you're trying to make a film, you're trying to stay within that 90 minute range. You know what I mean? Without making this epic, you know, like Cecil B. DeMille like version of a movie. So the script writing should have put her on the bridge instead of having her her own separate, you know, murder. Yeah, it didn't make any sense. I guess maybe they they were like maybe the producers like we need some nudity in this thing <laughs> or like <laughs> we need some like underage, uh, you know, she's, flesh. Yeah, she's supposed to be like seventeen or something, and like she's at this like spa that no one else is at. Like it's completely empty. Um, it was just such a a, a bizarre choice to make in, in a movie that made <laughs> certainly a lot of bizarre choices. With what you said too about like that scene saying oh it looked like a suicide like you said who stabs themselves in the face <laughs> but like the, you know the shoddy writing there's the other scene when uh, the detectives are at uh, Nora's house and their daughter's missing and they mm-hmm. open the door into like the daughter's bathroom and in the mirror on on blood you know it's like it's I forgot what's it written Remember oh the slender man made me do it empty man <laughs> the empty, empty man <laughs> right and the, the detective's like oh she's just acting out. Like, what kind of teenager smears blood on, like, yeah. writes messages in their mirror if they're just acting out, you know? Maybe they, like, come home past curfew or, like, tell you to go fuck yourself. They don't, they don't write in blood on their mirror if they're just acting out. Right, so, and that's the detective's theory. And, like, they're not going to investigate this. That's why I got to do this, you know? Right. It's like... It was, it was really... And that's when the movie switches gears again, and he goes and he finds out about the... Uh, the cult. What's what's the name of the cult again? Uh, the Pontifex Institute. I gotta say, man, that's a weak name it for is. for a cult. Like, <laughs> it sounds like a, you know, a a gas station or <laughs> something like that. Well, I mean, like, I think like what you know, like uh, something like this wants to not have such a sinister sounding name. You know what I mean? Right. They yeah. Want to make it so like they, but they, still in all, it, it could have been like you know, you know, the Omni Spiritual something with has this nice round comfortable vibe to it you know what i mean instead of like some like you know death cult or whatever you know yeah um and that's when yeah he he get we meet steven he's a cult leader and again the writing comes out as like i've seen some good you know speeches from cult leaders in movies this isn't one of them there's nothing he's saying again he's basically saying the same stuff the teenager was saying and it's just you know mumbo jumbo bullshit nothing is real everything is real like i it wasn't even memorable. Like, think of the scene. I don't know if you saw Kevin Smith's Red State. It's not a great movie. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. But there's like a nice 15 minute sermon where that guy really fucking sells it. Like, yeah, you know, totally. you would believe people would believe this guy. And this, you know, Stephen Root, as great as he is, um, it, it just he doesn't sell it. Well, he he had some pretty. He didn't have the right material. Right, you know, yeah. Right? Uh, no, I'm not... Uh, yeah, not, Steven not... Root is great, but the material he was given was, like, lackluster, right. though, you know? And this is where we start to learn a little bit, like... I think it, it maybe played its hand too strongly in, the, in this scene, because uh, James says, hey, I was raised in San Francisco. He that says it comes up a lot, actually. It comes up twice in that yeah. scene, where it's like, you know, hey, spread spread those out. <laughs> you know, maybe once at the beginning, like, oh, back in San Francisco, you know? But, like, he says it twice, and you're like... That's obviously significant, and he's having a one-on-one conversation with Stephen Root, and he says it's good that it's good to see you back here. He's like, I've never been here before. I'm like, oh, maybe you just you know, look familiar. They're like, okay, obviously that's important. So in this long two-hour, fifteen-minute movie, like it it, it it just basically shows it you its entire hand right there in that scene instead of spreading it out a, a little bit, because um, he meets that kid uh, Wesley, you know. Uh, and that was just such a hey man look at these cats and like, also like that character is kind of underutilized too really totally yeah you know and like that he could like that you know how like in, in a lot of films there's like it's almost like a non-player character where they kind of they're not they're not hands-on in the narrative but they all they they're there to for exposition you know what yeah I mean? yeah oh yeah exactly like that character could have been the whole exposition over the like instead of having everything revealed in that one scene yeah and that's once again goes back to the poor script writing yeah totally and just the way that like the, the the characters the way he talked the way he's like yeah these cats you know what i'm saying man he was talking like this like you know yeah, some like hipster from the 50s <laughs> yeah you know, exactly like, hey daddy <laughs> you know lenny bruce fan or something you know <laughs> 
but he needs to because he needs to get they need to get him to that cabin in the forest or whatever where um you learn like again like you learn an even bigger like that he's going through files of all the people who are involved in this cult and there's a file on him james finds a file on himself and uh i, I noticed randy in your interesting uh, um I told notes you to look at my notes uh, well they're right there did you notice this scene almost mirrors a scene in Kill List? Yeah, actually, come to think of it, but yeah, yeah, sure. Like with, with that group of people you're talking about. Right, he's yeah. observing a, a, a cult ritual from, from a distance. He some, like interrupts it, they notice him, and they come and chase him. And it's 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 the best scene in the movie. But I remember when we were watching, I was like, "This is almost exactly like that scene in Kill List." Yeah, yeah, totally. And it sort of makes me think, like, well, this movie does have a little bit of that feel to it. Like, I can see like its influence on it. You know, even plot wise, it's kind of similar. Whereas this guy is basically just on this self discovery journey, but doesn't quite know it. Yeah, and and also similar. To, yeah. Kill, I mean, there's a there's a, a cult in Kill List. There's right. Stuff being revealed in the same way. That scene though was probably the only scene where I actually felt like there's some kind of menacing, menace a menace to it. You know. Yeah, totally. Because I mean, like when he stops, he hears like the the cult stops moving. And he turns around, they're kind of mirroring mirroring him. Like if he takes a step back, they take a step forward. That was great. Yeah. That that was definitely the most effective scene uh, in the movie. And even like uh, like when he looked. There's almost like a shot in it in that scene too that reminded me of True Detective, in the last episode of True Detective when uh, Rust kind of like looks up at the sky and the sky starts to you know change. Yeah, I, it was shot in in a very similar way. Um, Possible, yeah. I mean, yeah. That's, I mean, True Detective, I think definitely influenced a lot of like stuff, a lot of films, and maybe even like reignited people's interest in like cosmic horror, really, in some ways. This seemed like it hinted at it, that was something like that was going to happen. Yeah, I mean, once again, adding yet another element right. into this film where it couldn't it had a personality crisis, where it couldn't figure out what it wanted to be. Right. And like, but you know, I guess let since this movie only came out like last year, let's not spoil the ending. And if anyone, you know, I know we're kind of shitting on this film, but like, if anyone out there wants to see this, by all means, check it out. And come up with your own analysis of it, but uh, but yeah, I mean, coming down to the wire on this thing, it's like there's, it's like this like soup, yeah, a salad of different ideas that were just tossed together. Well, not to give too much away, but the the twist made no sense to me. Like it was like nothing that happened before it makes any sense unless this entire movie took place in this guy's head. Which why would it? Yeah. Um, that's all I'll say about that. Now, if we were to rewrite this movie, right, <laughs> completely cut out the first 23 minutes, basically. Yeah. Yeah. That utilized what the uh, Wesley character, the yeah. non-player figure, right, mm -hmm. who would have more knowledge about what's going on. And maybe he could connect some element in the beginning that would have happened in the prologue. Right. He would have given the cop information on, or the whatever James the information on this like cabin in the woods type place, right? And he and then he would just would have went on his own merry way, you know what I mean? Yeah. The cult having more of like a uh, you know cosmic horror like element to it, and James, you know, manifesting as he does at the end, mm -hmm. but hacking away like all this other bullshit though right like with the the whistle and all this that's the know, whistle blowing, blowing into a bottle or whatever oh right right is, yeah that know, was like, so dumb that, you know and that might have been that might have come from like watching like candy man or something like that or <laughs> yeah you put that in there yeah, yeah I, I i had some you know my notes that there's definitely some nods to candy man because even they were blowing into the bottle as part of it but they say you're gonna mention his name so many times yeah um and I also got like you know some slight overtones of like a Lovecraftian type thing. Yeah, totally. The, I yeah, mean, the cosmic horror kind of not, stuff. Yeah, not executed yeah. very well. But uh, if this film was eighty-five minutes long, I think I'd probably like it a lot more than I did. But there's a couple things too I want to ask you guys about. Um, did you remember the scene where James kidnaps the kid when he, he throws him back in the car? They're oh yeah. In the middle of like whatever city they're in, the downtown area. Uh huh. And he just like I think he maces him. 
in the face. <laughs> yeah. And there's, like, people everywhere. But the funny thing is, if you look, every single person in that scene on the street is looking at their phone. Oh, yeah, that's right. Which yep. I thought was great. Yeah, that was actually so cool, yeah. I do, yeah, I just want to say something positive about it. And then yeah. when the kids are going to the hospital, they get in that old, like, shitty car, and they go to the hospital, they're going up that back entrance to see, you know, the guy that's in that room in the hospital. Uh-huh. The license plate frame on the back of that car, it says, kill yourself. Do you know, Dude, you I totally didn't even see that. I didn't catch I didn't that either. That. Yeah, I remember you pointed it out, though, yeah, when we were watching it. I don't know if there was any significance to that or, like, why that. But, like, there's a black license plate frame around the rear. And on the bottom, it says, kill yourself. Damn. <laughs> I was like, that's fucking odd. I'd like to get one of those. That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's... That scene was cool. Like he just like brutally fucking beats this kid, and everyone's <laughs> on their phone. But it felt like out of a different movie. Well, that was a problem I think with a lot, a lot of it. Yeah, I but like everything, almost everything in this movie is like oh, there's so many movies in one that like it all feels like it's out of a different movie. Another thing uh, we should bring up that I actually liked about the movie was the music. Oh uh, yeah. A lot of it was performed by Lustmoid. Yeah, I was going to mention um, that, actually. Okay, yeah. cool. And then uh, Christopher Young, who yep. worked on the first two Hellraiser movies. So I thought the, the score and the music and all that was really cool. Yeah. Um, also, like, yeah, the hospital scene was like they're breaking into a hospital that they can just walk into. I got that. Didn't you get that vibe that they were kind of, like, sneaking in? But, like, it seemed the hospital was sort of in on what was going on, too. Right. They were aware. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, man. The ending, dude. Uh, if we were to re- rewrite the ending, just needs a complete rewrite. I thought. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. So, what do you guys give it? What's your uh, your your rating on this thing? Yeah. Well, Randy, you want to go first? Yeah, Randy's the guest. What, what are Necromaniac. What's the rating scale? Here? All right, so five burning skulls is like the ultimate. One. Horrible. <laughs> I'm gonna give it a two. I want to give it a one. I'm going to give it a two because there's a couple things about it I liked. I liked the music. There's a couple scenes I thought were, were good. I'll give it a I'll give it a one and a half burning skulls. How's that? Okay. Right. Yeah, we do we do halves. So All right, yeah. yeah. One it's a solid one and a half burning skulls. Okay. Um Mike, you want to go next? All right. Why? Why do, why do I have to go next? I don't know. Why do you want me to go? Why do you want we want to hear what I say first and it's going to change the way you see it? Five stars. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> burning skulls! All right, I um I give it a two and a half only because it it made me aware of a trade that I want to read now, and I'm I guarantee you I'll report back on this. I guarantee you the comic book is way better than this, only because I'm familiar with the the writer's work from other like X Men and stuff like that. The Damned is cool, All right? I guarantee you, and I'll let you guys know because I saw this in the comic shop I go to, and I didn't buy it yet. I guarantee you it's better than the movie. Mm. So I, okay. I wasn't aware of it until I saw this film. So that's why I gave it a 2.5. Okay, uh, I, I guess I'll bridge the gap. I would give this one and a half, but I'm going to go with two. Just because I had a fun watching it. I watched it with Randy uh, in uh, in his basement. And I'll have a happy memory of doing that. You know, well, I've been cooped up in my fucking apartment for a year. So right there it gets a little uh, uh, extra half flaming uh, skull. There's a cool idea in this movie somewhere. Like, it, it, like there's a this a good movie out of this stuff could be made. I guess that's why I I am I'm, I'm generous by giving it a two and a half is because there's concepts in here that I think are fucking great, man. Yeah. Like it just wasn't laced together the right way. Yeah. No. Not you at know? all. And then like the personality, you know, crisis of not knowing what to be. Like, are right, we going to be a police procedural? You know, we're going to be cosmic horror. We're going to be a candy man we're gonna be this right. and like right. none of it it was too disjointed confusing it was too long i actually fell asleep during this movie i had to <laughs> fucking wake up and then watch like, oh, where where did i leave off you know what i mean um yeah just you know i'm gonna end my contributions on this i thought this was really funny i can't credit anybody so we'll just say john doe this was like in a comment section where there was like millions of comments about this movie on a youtube thing but someone wrote if someone took tool lyrics and made a movie script out of them, they, that'd be this movie. And that made me fucking laugh. And I also thought it was right on the nose. And no disrespect to tool. I like tool, but like, I just, it was very on the nose to me. Because I've known a lot of these like fucking steakhead morons through life. They're like, fucking tool. They love tool. And they think tool is like the deepest shit ever made. You know, like, you don't understand this shit, man. It's so fucking 
tense. And I felt like this movie was like a lot of that. Like, uh, I just thought that quote was fucking perfect. Uh, absolutely. No, that, that fucking nailed This movie thinks it's, it's deeper and more meaningful than it is. But, you know. Yeah, I mean, and I guess like the guy who made that PR guy, this is it. This is the only thing he's ever made. Yeah, and it and it shows. I really feel as a like, director. Yeah. that is. He's a producer more more no more as a producer. It doesn't have a lot of wit or style to the directing. Like there's like a cool scene where it could have been a cool scene of him wandering around the grounds of the cult, and and the, the, the it seems to get weirder and drippier and and as it goes along. But like there's a way it could have been edited or shot that could have made it a little bit more interesting. Uh, but it's just sort of kind of flat. Yeah, and and you know, like you you were, you were mentioning Stephen Root's uh, delivery mm. of uh, of that you know sermon or speech, or that is an opportunity, yeah, to really fucking get down, man. You know what I mean? Like that's that's some of my favorite scenes in movies, or even in reading books, is where like you get a chance to really like unleash like your 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 full creative palette 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 pal- <laughs> of of color and words and you know usages and you know, all this stuff. And like, I had some of my favorite stuff and they just failed. And that's where I was like, Oh man, bummer. Yeah. And there's a, there's a, a, another scene too, where like the cop, uh, or James is talking to the actual detective and they're having some sort of heart to heart. And it's supposed to sound meaningful and it sounds fucking goofy when he's like, what do you do about this shit? You can't arrest the cosmos. <laughs> like, Indeed. I, I think that's supposed to mean something, but it was just fucking funny to me. And like, they just could have went so much heavier into that. They should have leaned into that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. And they didn't. And that's yeah. they fucked up. So, hey, man, I tried. I thought it would have been cool, but I didn't. I, ultimately, I didn't like this movie either. There's some cool stuff in there. Definitely, um, you know, elements that piqued my interest to read the graphic novel, and I'll, I'll let sure. you guys know if it was any good. No, I definitely want to check that out myself and just see like if it's you know how it compares. Well, thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you guys next week. And uh, take care. Take care.
Good evening. Good evening, everyone. <clears throat> 